0: Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing China's current economic situation and how China can navigate debt risks in its financial system. Here to discuss this and more is Nick Borst, Vice President and Director of China Research at Seafarer Capital Partners. Prior to joining Seafarer, he was a senior analyst at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco covering financial and economic developments in greater China, and a research associate and the China program manager at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Nick, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here.
0: So the topic of our podcast today is China's fiscal policy, as well as its larger debt risk and what's happening on China's financial side. So maybe to start off the podcast, Nick, could you provide some background on China's current debt situation? For example, where are the highest concentrations of debt risk in China's economy? And how does the Chinese central government think about managing all the different actors that might be part of generating debt within China?
1: Well, thanks. So when it comes to China's debt, the the amounts are truly enormous. If we look at the past decade, China's debt levels have increased by about $37 trillion, bringing the total debt amount outstanding for the Chinese economy to over $50 trillion. So that's an enormous number, and it's significantly larger than all other emerging markets combined. So it leaves us in a situation where, where debt levels in China have grown very quickly, and they're basically on par with where the U.S. is right now. But the debt within China compared to the U.S. is distributed very differently, and that has real ramifications for financial stability. So if we take a step back and look at who's done the borrowing, it really hasn't been households. So yes, household debt in China has increased, but household balance sheets are still relatively strong, and that's really driven by Chinese households having a very, very high savings rate, particularly compared to the global average. Where most of the borrowing over the past decade has occurred is with companies and the government. And if we look even deeper there, it's really state-owned enterprises, real estate developers and local governments that have done the vast majority of the borrowing in China over the past decade. And this has some real implications for financial risk because not only do these entities have the highest debt levels but they really don't have the income necessary to support these debts and pay back their loans on an ongoing basis. So in general, China's not only increased a lot of debt, but where the debt has gone is not necessarily to the most productive parts of the economy. And Bonnie, you asked the question about the central government's ability to manage all this. Well, I think it's been a real challenge for them. Some of the numbers are relatively easy to track. How many loans have been made? How many bonds have been issued? But the indebtedness for a lot of these borrowers has been much more difficult to get a handle on, whether it's kind of local government financing vehicles or real estate developers. There's been a lot of effort to obfuscate their actual debts, mainly because they're facing a lot of regulations that prevent them from borrowing. And so while statistics and transparency have generally gotten better over time as we think about China's debt, there's still a lot we don't know. Uh, for example, you know many of the big Chinese real estate developers went bankrupt last year. Well, when they actually entered bankrupt proceedings, we found out that they actually had a lot more debt than what was on their balance sheet. So we know a little bit, it, the understanding of the debt issue has generally gotten better, but I think there's still a lot we don't know, which which increases the probability that that there's some bad things lurking out there.
0: Nick, earlier you were comparing China's debt to the U.S. debt. Could you just unpack that a little bit more? I think you said China has more debt than the United States and that the debt was held by different actors. But how does China compare in ter- ter- terms of total volume to the United States as well as compared to other developed economies?
1: Yeah, so the, the case of China is quite interesting because relative to the size of its GDP, China actually has slightly more debt than the U.S. And that's unusual because generally we think of developing economies, which China still is, as having less kind of financial deepening. They'll have lower levels of debt relative to GDP. But China has sort of skipped straight up to developed status in terms of debt levels. But compared to the U.S., if you look at U.S. debt, a lot of it is at the federal government level, and then we have pretty large consumer debt. In China, it's very, very different. In the case of China, it's corporations, particularly SOEs and real estate developers, and then local government debt. And if you look at the central government's balance sheet, the debt levels are actually pretty low. So China basically has developed country levels of debt, but it's structured in a way that's kind of very unique to to China's own economy and, and political structure.
0: And in terms of Chinese debt and what, how China is dealing with it, what have been the policies under Xi Jinping to combat financial risks? And have they been
1: successful? So Xi really came into power in China during the heyday of rapid credit growth and the expansion of the shadow banking system. And I believe there was initially sort of a, a willingness to let this type of financial expansion occur to allow more private sector credit. But things changed very distinctly in 2015. So if the audience will remember back to what was going on in the Chinese economy in 2015, there was a huge stock market meltdown. We began to see real large scale defaults in the shadow banking system. And China had to spend nearly a trillion dollars of its foreign exchange reserves to prevent the currency from depreciating. So there was a real kind of sea change after that point where Xi and the banking regulators at the time really got serious about financial risk. You started to see that emphasized as a major priority for the government. There was a large scale deleveraging campaign that got started during this time. And they made some progress on this. Uh, we saw corporate borrowing in China basically slow relative to GDP. But things really got pushed aside again during COVID. And with the onset of COVID and the damage that that was doing to the Chinese economy, Beijing once again leaned heavily on local governments to borrow and stimulate the economy. And so we've seen once again that local government debt is increasing very, very rapidly and has the potential to be a real source of financial risk for China.
0: That provides a natural segue to unpack a little bit about the high concentrations of debt that you mentioned across different actors. You just mentioned some of the debt on the local government was a result of borrowing from the local government to stimulate the economy. What explains the high amounts of debt, for example? by the SOEs, by the real estate companies, and other actors in the system. You mentioned that generally the amount of debt in the central government is relatively low, right?
1: Yeah. So for local governments, I think it's quite clear that they are essentially forced to borrow a lot because of the way China's fiscal system is structured. So at the expenditure level, China is one of the most decentralized fiscal systems in the entire world. It it's kind of surprising when you look at how the Chinese system is centralized in so many other ways. When it comes to what local governments are actually responsible for, for spending, they do a lot. So it's healthcare, infrastructure, education, social insurance. A lot of those spending burdens fall directly on local governments. But the problem is on the revenue side, it's hugely Im- imbalanced between them and the central government. So, local governments are responsible for around 80% of total expenditures, but they really only get about 50% of the tax revenues. So they are very heavily incentivized to find ways to raise re- revenue off balance sheet. So some of that is borrowing through local government finance vehicles, and a lot of that has been relying on land sales. So selling land to real estate developers, and pocketing pocketing the revenue from the transaction. So to the three groups that are most indebted, whether it's local governments, real estate developers, or SOEs, a lot of it traces back to the imbalances in the China's fiscal system. So local governments borrow because they're forced to, to meet their spending requirements, Real estate developers have been urged on to, to develop China's property market and borrow very heavily to buy properties. And SOEs, particularly local SOEs, borrow huge amounts and really have what we call soft budget constraints, where they're not forced to pay back the entirety of their loan. They're able to borrow new funds to repay old funds. All of this, in my opinion, really ties back to China's fiscal system. and and the way it's, it's imbalanced and the pressure that puts on local governments to continue to borrow.
0: So we've been discussing the high amount of debt within China as a source of problem, but maybe you could unpack that a little. Why is that problematic in terms of what, I guess, why do we care? Why are we talking about all the, the rising level of debt within China and, and as you described, Why is it problematic that most of this debt is on the local side? I'm just trying to understand why we should care and what are the larger implications here before we unpack this even more.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. High debt levels are not inherently problematic, but they are very closely associated with financial risk. And so as your debt levels increase, the potential that if you run into some sort of problem, you could have a liquidity issue or a solvency issue become much, much greater. So what I've really been focused on is, yes, the the debt in China has increased very rapidly, but I think what's more concerning is, as I mentioned before, the entities that are borrowing most heavily are not well positioned to pay back a lot of that debt. So if you look at Let's take local government financing vehicles as an example. And for those who who may not be aware, local governments in China face a lot of restrictions on their ability to borrow. And so what they do is they set up essentially shell companies to borrow on their behalf and do spending in that way. So when we look at local government financing vehicles, their, their debt has increased really rapidly, but they don't really have good sources of revenue to pay back that debt. In fact, some studies, one from the IMF in particular, show that most of the incoming cash for local government financing vehicles is actually through new borrowing. So they don't have revenues, they're not able to pay back the loans they've taken out, and so they're borrowing more and more to make ends meet on their balance sheet. So this is, this is a difficult situation for these borrowers to get out of. And so the question is, can they reduce their borrowing over time without really having a major impact on economic growth? Or can they get some sort of outside support, whether it's from a provincial government or the central government, to to help some address some of these balance sheet risks? But to return to the to the original question, Bonnie, I think the key is not that debt itself is necessarily bad. But if it's being borrowed by those without the means to pay it back, it really increases financial risks across the economy. And it makes it it much more likely that China might experience some bouts of financial instability going forward.
0: So just to make sure I understand what you're saying. So if a local government is not able to pay off its debt, what happens then? Because you were also mentioning that There's a possibility that the provincial government or central government could provide outside support. But what happens? Does a local government default? Or I guess I I don't, I'm not an economic expert, so I don't quite understand what happens when a local government is not able to, to repay debt.
1: Yeah, we have not seen yet any major local government defaults. What we have seen is some local SOE defaults particularly on some SOE bonds. And that's been a real shock to the market because people have thought if it's an SOE, it's backed by the government, there should be some support. When we have seen SOE defaults, it's been a wake-up call for many in the market that, wow, maybe these things are are riskier than we thought. When it comes specifically to local government direct borrowings, as I mentioned, we haven't seen defaults, what we've seen is some really messy workarounds where loans that were going to default were essentially extended with long interest-free periods. But you can see that the, the pressure in the system is actually continuing to build. And there's more and more local governments that are having to cut back on infrastructure projects or are late on paying salaries for their workers. And I think where it really comes into effect for the macro economy is that the Chinese economy still really relies on infrastructure stimulus as a major driver of growth. And most of that infrastructure spending is actually coming from local governments. And so as they are facing more and more pressure from these loans that they're trying to pay back, that means that there's less money available at the end of the day for infrastructure spending. And so that tool of stimulus to push forward the Chinese economy is gonna become weaker over time. And I think we've seen a little bit of that over the past two to three years where the central government has been calling on local governments to increase infrastructure spending, but we really haven't seen it filter down to a really robust economic recovery for China yet.
0: So when you mentioned that local SOE defaults have caused shock to the market, are you talking about the Chinese market or are the shocks felt beyond the Chinese market?
1: So far, I think it's, it's largely contained to, to China's domestic financial markets, but you could envision a scenario where or if it's large enough, it could have some real international reverberation. So a lot of the relative calm and stability in the Chinese financial system is based off this idea that, yes, there's a lot of state-owned borrowers that have a lot of debt that's going to be difficult for them to pay back. But that the central government will, at the end of the day, step in and help settle some of these balances and avoid a real catastrophic financial situation. That's the assumption that a lot of financial activity in China occurs based off of. But if that changes, if people feel like, wow, the central government might actually let a lot of these borrowers go bankrupt, I think that will have major reverberations across the Chinese economy and will actually have an international impact given China's size and the the amount of capital flows with the rest of the world.
0: Mm -hmm. And just for comparison, when we talk about these three categories, local governments, SOEs, particularly local SOEs, and real estate developers, which of these three hold the most debt? And is the debt held by each individual actor relatively proportional? So for example, do state of, state of enterprises per state enterprise have more debt than per state per local government just trying to understand the size of each of these
1: yeah it's it's a good question and this is where to our our previous point the statistics get a little murky so in terms of just sheer outstanding debt soes are the largest borrowers in china but there's a a very murky overlap between SOEs and local government financing vehicles. So if you talk to some of the statistical services that try to do estimates of, of local government off balance sheet debt, you know, it it really is subjective, whether it's purely a state owned enterprise or this is actually a local government financing vehicle. And so allocating the debt between one side or the other can get complicated. But in general the problem is not only the amount of debt overall but the allocation of debt within those groups so there are many soes that are perfectly creditworthy will have no trouble paying back their debts but there's a lot who are actually and the chinese use this term too you know essentially zombie companies where they're not earning enough to actually pay back their debt and so they're continuing to have to borrow more and more. And it's same the same on the local government side. So there's some local governments and particularly in the rich coastal areas of China that will have no problem paying back paying back their debts. But there's others who are in less economically developed regions with you know economic rust belt and things like that, they're gonna have quite a bit of trouble. So I think it's important not to generalize as a whole that all SOEs are uncreditworthy or all local governments are going to face financial trouble but it's really specific groups within those categories that are going to face the most trouble and so part of my research and what I've been trying to focus on is is understanding kind of who are the riskiest borrowers within within those categories mm-hmm.
0: and you mentioned for the local governments at least the riskiest borrowers seem to be the local governments in the more inland regions, in the less developed in the less developed regions, right? The regions that are generally not as rich. Which then leads to your earlier point of the role that these local governments do in, in terms of China's overall uh, decentralized fiscal system, that they provide health care, they provide infrastructure, they provide social insurance and many local services. So if they were to default, it seems like many of the services that keep the population happy take care of the population could probably be at risk.
1: Yeah, I think that's precisely the problem is that obviously there's some local governments that spend money on white elephant projects that are completely useless, but a lot of what local governments are using their funds for are very real and essential social services. So infrastructure, education, social insurance. So the problem is, As they face these increasing budget constraints, there's a trade-off. There's a trade-off in terms of do we spend more money on hard infrastructure or kind of softer social services? There's a trade-off in their ability to kind of meet their own internal goals versus what what Beijing is asking them to do. And so that, I think, creates a, a real dilemma for China going forward where Beijing has had this tool of basically using the balance sheets of local governments in China to to stimulate the economy, to pursue all sorts of national level policies like Belt and Road and Made in China 2025. But as local governments are increasingly facing this fiscal constraint, they're not going to be able to use that tool as much. And so there's going to be constraints on their ability to Uh, do whatever Beijing is asking to them. So I think that's a really interesting kind of dynamic to view as we see the central government continuing to come out with new policies and a real focus on industrial policy and developing what they call breakthrough technologies to be less reliant on the West. It's really going to run headlong into these balance sheet constraints of local governments, and they're going to be less able to support those high-level initiatives than, than in the past.
0: Could you explain a little bit more? I think I'm not necessarily getting the connection. So it seems like what you're saying is that these major initiatives, whether on the technology side or BRI side, rely on the local governments to take initiative, as in the local government has to put in the initial funding for them? Or how how do these central initiatives get translated and impact the local local government debt level?
1: Yeah, so it's 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 it could be a little complex and it varies basically initiative to initiative. But for several of the big national level pushes that we've seen, there's been a very strong component of local government funding that's been part of that. So if you look at, let's say the semiconductor push over the past couple of years, you saw the proliferation of what they call government guidance funds at the local level where, local governments or local government SOEs were raising funds to help develop China's domestic semiconductor industry. And that has a real cost. So they are borrowing and spending in order to support national priorities. So to the extent that they are increasingly encumbered by their own balance sheets and can't borrow as much or you know, are having to put more and more effort into servicing their existing debt, that means that next time. Beijing comes and asks them to support a national initiative, they just have less financial firepower available to do so. Or if they do decide to kind of su- support it full-heartedly, that means they're going to have to borrow a lot more and their own financial situation is going to become even more precarious. So that's a real trade-off going forward is if you want, if Beijing continues to want to use local governments to use their balance sheets for these national objectives, that's going to run smack into the financial pressure that they're facing and the debt issues that we've been talking about.
0: I guess two related questions Does Beijing have to leverage the local governments for these initiatives? And secondly, we've talked broadly about local governments and the high level of debt, and you've noted in land poor, poor regions have more debt. But do you have a figure, a rough figure? Is it Fifty percent or more of local governments have high amount of debt, or is it higher than that, or lower than that? Just just to get a macro picture of this.
1: So, on the question of whether Beijing has to use local governments use their balance sheets for these national initiatives, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't, and um, you know that's one thing I think comes through very clearly when you when you look at the distribution of debt within China. The central government's balance sheet is basically pristine. China's central government debt relative to the size of its economy is very, very low. And the Chinese Ministry of Finance can actually borrow at lower rates than the U.S. Treasury right now. So there's a lot of fiscal capacity on the side of the central government to use its balance sheet and spend on some of these projects. But there's been a real historical reluctance to do so. And a really an intense focus on preserving the strength of the central government's balance sheet and really pushing local governments to do most of the spending. And then you know, Beijing likes to allocate funds between the different provinces and address regional inequities and things like that. But at a high level, if Beijing wants to, I think there is capacity to do so but it's it's a would be sort of a sharp break from the practice of the past two decades on the issue of of which local governments are facing the biggest debt issues or which are the most highly indebted as i mentioned it's it is generally the case that it's worse amongst the inland provinces but that's not entirely true and if if you look at the total numbers you know more than half of chinese provinces have a debt to gdp figure and that's if you include both their official debt and the off balance sheet debt that they've been doing through local governments greater than 60% of gdp which is a pretty pretty high number for a local government so i think across the board mm-hmm. relative to what we see in other countries it, it's pretty high high debt levels for local governments and then there's let's say if the average is is somewhere between 60 to 70% there's a few that are, you know, in the 140% or so, so high high averages across the board, but a few localities that are, are really quite exceptional in how much they borrowed.
0: Oh, thank you. Seems like a very, um, very problematic situation that China is facing. So Nick, what you describe is a relatively bleak picture in terms of China's fiscal situation, particularly on the local government side. And it relates to a art- recent article that you wrote for the China Leadership Monitor, in which you describe China's balance sheet challenge. I think we've talked a bit about this challenge, but I want to turn to you if you want to elaborate a bit more about this challenge and why it's so important.
1: Yeah, the the situation certainly is pretty challenging for, for China. But I don't think it's necessarily that bleak, because as I outlined in the paper, There's actually some options that that Beijing has available to it to try to solve this issue. So the first option, and we touched upon this a little bit, is the central government could just use more of its balance sheet. It could borrow and help pay off some local government debts. It could recapitalize the banks. It could forgive some SOE debts. Those are all things that the central government really does have the fiscal capacity to do and could, could reduce some of the real acute financial stress. That's option one. Option two is Beijing could get serious about really fixing the fiscal situation in China. So that would mean really establishing a system where local governments have the revenues they need to meet all these spending priorities. And that would lead to much less need on their behalf to go out and borrow and do all this off balance sheet stuff. The third option would be to sell some state assets. So taking SOEs and state land and other assets and actually selling them to raise funds to pay off debts. So there's kind of a a list of different policies that, that Beijing could use to address this debt challenge. The problem is I don't think that they're going to do any of those or do any of them very completely. And that's really because I think It really cuts against the framework through which Xi Jinping sees the economy and his desire for greater centralization, greater control over local governments, a larger role for the state in the economy. All of those three policy options that I mentioned, those all kind of cut against that. And so while there's a list of options they could choose from to help address this problem for political reasons, I think they're, they're really unlikely to do so.
0: Just to make sure I understood that correctly, Nick, I thought you said she believes that there should be a more central control of the economy. So wouldn't the central government being more involved in how the local government either uses their money or providing more revenue to the local government, wouldn't that align with what Xi Jinping wants in terms of more control?
1: I think he wants the best of both worlds where... They have greater oversight over local governments, that they have more discipline on local government spending and borrowing. But there hasn't been a real willingness to do anything that would compromise the central government's own balance sheet. So essentially, they they've, in, from my perspective, they very much like the way the current system works of Beijing doesn't have to borrow a lot itself. It collects a bunch of the tax revenues and gets to decide how it's distributed, and that they keep a very tight lid on local governments by really controlling how much revenue they have access to. So that's a a system, in my opinion, that serves the central government's priorities pretty well, but it's a difficult situation for for local governments and leads to a lot of this borrowing activity that we've been talking about.
0: I see. So in some ways, it seems like the central government would prefer the local governments to be... To be taking the risk, and send the central government taking that risk.
1: Exactly, and I, th- I, think you know this. This has long been a priority in in Beijing to avoid anything at the central level that is could be constituted as a financial risk. To avoid any situation where you know, I think the in some ways the Asian financial crisis still looms very large in in the mind of China's leaders of. They saw many of their neighboring economies, whether it's Korea or Malaysia or Indonesia, really brought to their knees by the Asian financial crisis and forced to seek outside assistance and had a lot of domestic internal turmoil as a result of, of what was going on financially. You know, That's the last thing any leader in China wants. So I think there's always been this real priority on maintaining financial stability particularly at the macro level, and pushing a lot of that risk down to the local level.
0: Great. Thank you. Let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about what's happening now, given the close of the two sessions or Lianghui. As you watched that major event, did you see anything surprising coming out of the two sessions concerning China's financial or fiscal policy?
1: Yeah, well, I guess the the shakeup of the financial regulator was a bit of a surprise although I guess maybe it shouldn't be because they they seem to do a, a regulatory restructuring every couple of years now. But we did see kind of a major restructuring of how financial regulation will work in China. And a key component of that I think is strengthening the banking regulator and taking some of the financial regulation authority away from local governments. And so I think the fact that they're doing such a major financial restructuring really indicates that they're still very aware of how many financial risks are out there and that the current system is not well-suited to address it. The other thing that came out during the two sessions was just a continued focus on addressing local government risk, and there was some specific language about needing to restructure it. So We may see a little bit of movement in that that department where, like in 2015, they did a big local government debt swap, where a lot of the off-balance sheet debt was brought on balance sheet at lower interest rates and longer duration. So nothing too, too surprising came out, but I think the fact that they're still clearly so concerned about financial risks and particularly about local government debt indicates that they know that these are major problems that they have to address.
0: Great. Okay. So Nick, I want to close by asking you one final question to have you look a little bit into the future. So looking forward, how do you view China's debt situation in 2023? You mentioned some of the measures that China could take to resolve it and a growing recognition, at least in the two sessions of the problems with local debt. Are you confident that we'll see some significant changes in 2023? Or do you think it'll take a longer time for China to really start addressing some of these problems?
1: Yeah, you know, I think when we look at the Chinese economy this year, things will get a little better compared to last year. And that's really because a lot of the most economically damaging policies have been reversed. So, COVID zero has ended. That's a big help for Chinese consumption and investment. The crackdown on the real estate sector has eased up significantly. That's likely to help not only real estate developers, but also local governments, which rely a lot on those land sales. So that gives China a bit of breathing room in 2023 to address some of these issues. But I don't, at least right now, I don't really see the impetus to make the long-term changes. And I think China is much more likely to seek a approach of, of sort of muddling through the situation. So no long-term structural reforms that might kind of address the root of the problem and much more reactive responding to crises as as they pop up. So I think if we take that in the context of where China's economy is and what the growth rate is likely to be going forward, it presents some problems. So if if we think back to the last time China had a big major debt issue that was in the late 90s, basically all the big banks were insolvent, huge issues with state-owned enterprise debt, China was essentially able to grow its way out of that problem. Growth was so high during that period, the Chinese economy was growing 8%, 9%, 10% a year, that the debt problems that were quite large in 1999, by the middle of the 2000s, weren't quite as pressing. But China doesn't have that option anymore with where we think growth is going to be. So, in a Chinese economy that's growing three, four, maybe five percent in good years, China can't grow its way out of its debt problems in the same way as it did in the past. So, I'm worried that the the approach to muddling through is is not going to work for China this time. So, I'll be watching very closely and and looking to see if some of these deeper reforms that I mentioned earlier actually get underway.
0: Nick, can you explain a little bit more by what you mean that China before had the option of growing its way out of debt? I don't quite understand what that means.
1: Yeah. So if you take the the example of, of the big state-owned banks in the late 90s, they had these huge outstanding non-performing loans that were really, if they were all forced to be recognized at the same time, would push those banks into bankruptcy. So what they did through a variety of different mechanisms is stretched, stretched out the recognition of those bad loans. So the banks didn't have to realize all those losses right at the same time. They, they generally did it over the course of, let's say, 10 to 15 years. However, by the time we get 10 years down the road in the late 2000s, the Chinese economy is a lot, lot bigger. And so those debts that would have been enough to bankrupt the banks in the late 90s are much, much lower relative to the size of the banks in the late 2000s, and so they're more easily able to absorb the losses. So that's what I I mean when I say growing your way out of debt. When your economy is growing very rapidly, you can essentially get yourself out of some bad situations by just waiting on recognition of, of the bad debts until your economy is big enough to handle them. Um, That option doesn't really work for China anymore because the economy is going to be growing, we think, much more slowly in the future. So China can't grow its way out of a bad financial situation like it did in the past.
0: Great. Thank you, Nick, for the clarification and for a fascinating and rich discussion on China's debt situation as well as fiscal policy. Thank you again for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Bonnie.